Well, good morning, First Baptist Faith family. How is everybody doing this morning? Hey, yeah, a few of you are still awake. Some of you have had your coffee. Well, um, we have a lot to go over, but let me introduce myself uh, first. My name is Shane Rosti. I'm the student ministries pastor here at the church. I love this church. I love the city, and uh, I'm, I'm really excited. What a privilege it is. Uh, my job this morning is... Uh, basically just to make Chad look good. So if you leave here today thinking, I am so thankful for Chad, then I've done my job, okay? Okay, good. So um, what we have here, we're going to be, he, he asked me to continue on in the book of Judges. So we're going to be in Judges chapter 5. And I was able miraculously to find a historically accurate picture of Deborah in her 20s. No, I'm kidding. This, I, I'm just joking. Um, but we're going to be going over. This, is, this whole chapter is a song sung by Deborah. But before we get there, uh, anybody ever been there? Been there this summer? Mount Rushmore? Um, well, that guy up front, George Washington. They call him General George Washington. Um, I want to talk a little bit about this idea that, you know, the United States had several instances, multiple instances in its history where it almost ended before it even began. And if you look at history, you see this working of God's hand, what we call God's providence, that he works every detail together in order to accomplish his will. We call that God's providence, that he prepares for us things, details, specifics. And one of those specifics was in August 1776. It's called the Battle of Long Island. General Washington and his troops, his six-week-old army, uh, were backed in a corner. They were in a bad spot. They had been beaten badly the day before by the British Army. And so we very well could have been literally BBC America if this gone awry. But something happened that morning. A fog lowered from the sky, a fog, a thick, thick fog that caused the Brits to say, we need to wait for this fog to pass. And here's the thing, the fog lasted all day, allowing General Washington and his troops, his 9,000 troops, to escape on boats, lasting yet another day. And if we look back on that, we know the loss of these men, these 9,000 lives, um, under General Washington would have been a devastating cost in the war, and it might have cost them the whole war, the American Revolution, and we wouldn't be standing here today as the United States. God caused a fog to happen. Now, as we look back in the book of Judges, Pastor Chad went through a very similar Occurrence where this man named Barak was asked by God to rally the troops, 10,000 men together, so that they could uh, go and defeat the Canaanites who God originally wanted Israel to wipe out because they were evil, they were child sacrificing, uh, other God worshiping uh, a people. They were very evil people that God had called Barak. But Barak, as you guys remember what Chad taught, he, he became afraid. And Barak had to be encouraged by the judge at the time, who was Deborah. And Deborah encouraged Barak to get, to get it together, to show up, and to do what God had told him to do by bringing his troops down to this area. But there's one specific passage. If you look back in chapter 4, Judges 4.13, there's one little detail there about Sisera. And the general of the army of Canaan was Sisera. And Sisera parked his army in what's called a wadi. Does anybody know what a wadi is? 
Anybody? So it's like a riverbed. It's like a riverbed. And any Canaanite general, if you were a general, would not be dumb enough to park your chariot-led army in a wadi if it was the rainy season. But here's the trick. It wasn't the rainy season. And outside of a rainy season, a riverbed would have been a fantastic place to stage an army, to gather an army to stage. And so we know that Sisera, his key advantage in war was his chariots. And what we see in this song, this is incredible, we see in this song the detail that God's providence of sending an out-of-season rain caused Sisera's army, the Canaanite army, to fall before the hands of Barak, and God had it prepared beforehand. Barak almost missed what God had set up. God had set up this victory for Barak to walk in, for Israel to walk in. Let's look there then in Judges. Let's go to Judges 5. Let's read this song starting in verses 1. We're going to read 1 through 11. Would you read with me? On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinom, sang this song. And so this is after the victory. This is after everything. Uh, verse 2, Israel's leaders took charge, and the people gladly followed. Praise the Lord. You guys want to say praise the Lord with me? There you go. Listen, you kings. Pay attention, you mighty rulers. For I will sing to the Lord. I will make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. Lord, when you set out from Seir and marched across the fields of Edom, the earth trembled. And here's the detail. Are you ready? And the cloudy skies poured down rain. The mountains quaked in the presence of the Lord, the God of Mount Sinai. In the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, and in the days of Jael, people avoided the main roads. The travelers stayed on winding pathways. There were few people left in the villages of Israel until Deborah arose as a mother of Israel. When Israel chose new gods, war erupted at the city gates. Yet not a shield or spear could have been seen among 40,000 warriors in Israel my heart is with the commanders of Israel, with those who volunteered for war. Praise the Lord. And consider this, you who ride on fine donkeys, you who sit on fancy saddlebacks, and you who walk along the road. Listen to the village musicians gathered at the watering holes. They recount the righteous victories of the Lord and the victories of his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord marched down to the city gates. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your providence, God. And I pray that this morning as we look at your word, Holy Spirit, would you do the speaking? Would you do the teaching? Would you, by your providence, would you speak to the people? You have the right people here at the right time, God. I know you do, and you're going to speak to some of them. I pray for open hearts. God, I pray that you would do the speaking and the teaching. And Lord, we praise you and thank you for your mercy and your grace on us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Judges, the book of Judges uh, tends to be kind of a downward spiral, if you know what I mean. A sin, consequences, deliverance, repentance, peace, and then Israel sins again. And so it's kind of like this toilet spiral downward, and each 
judge that God raises up, and we're not talking like a judge with a gavel. We're talking like a general, a leader, somebody who was tough, somebody who would lead the nation of Israel. And so we see this downward spiral. The whole book of Judges is this continual cycle of sin, of the consequences of the deliverance of repentance and peace, and then repeat. And again, if you have, uh, I, I gave you a, a, just a spot of notes, so just in case I lose you, I'm going to be following that pretty closely. So this song that is sung by Deborah, we pick up in a song sung after the third recorded judge. So this is the third judge in Judges in Israel, and her name is Deborah. This song is presumably written by Deborah herself, and so traditionally an Israel song. It'd be like our hymns, like we sang today. Some of you young people were like, this song sounds old, right? So this song would have been old even by the time that, that Samuel, so we, we believe by tradition that Samuel took this song written by Deborah and put it in this book so we could recount and we could see the providence of God. It looks back on God's providence forging the whole nation of Israel. And so the idea then is that God is the one who fashioned Israel despite Israel. God is the one who caused Israel to happen. So this is during the time of David. They would have read this. We would have looked at this, this and looked back and said, man, looking at our nation, they would have said, how the heck did this thing happen? How did this happen? It doesn't even make sense that we are a nation with a strong king like David. And they're looking back on their history and saying, it had to have been God. It had to have been God. Um, I was thinking about how Jesus would summarize the book of Judges. And I came up with uh, John 15, 5. I think he records it there. I'm the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I think that's Jesus' summary of the book of Judges. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And Judges occur occurs after the death of Joshua, who was discipled by Moses, who brought, led them into the promised land. Israel did not listen to God and eliminate the evil, child-sacrificing, idol-worshiping people that dwelt in the promised land that he gave them. So here's the big idea for today. The big idea is that God allows us to take part in his providence so that we may enjoy relationship with him. So that we may re uh, enjoy relationship with him. Because we know life without the king is awful. If this life is up to us to live... It's, that's a lot of pressure. If you have to control how your life goes, if you have to control every detail, any, anybody ever feel under that kind of pressure? Where you got to try to succeed, you got to try to make things happen, you got to try to keep your life together, to keep your family together, to keep people from, from hurting you or you hurting people. It, it's, life without the king is awful. In, in fact, we tend to be defenseless like a pawn. Defenseless like a pawn. And so God allows us then to step into his providence, the things that he's prepared for us. An example of this for me is I took my four-year-old son fishing this last couple weekends. And if I wanted to catch a fish, do you think I would take my four-year-old son? No, man, he gets bored in like two minutes. He's throwing sticks in the creek and like throwing rocks and he's like wading through the water. And I'm like, dude, you got your clothes on. Why are you jumping in the water, right? He's just like, if I wanted to catch a fish, if I wanted to get a fish, I wouldn't have my son do it. But you know why I took my son fishing? Because, man, I cherish those memories 
of that time with my son. And you know what? I, I hooked a fish, and I pulled it out. He looked at it. I put it back in, and I said, come here. And so he got to pull it out, and he looked at that fish. He, he like, threw the, the uh, pole down. He comes over, and he holds this fish, and he looks up, and he's like, yes! Look what I have done! And me as a dad, I'm just beaming. I'm like, yes, you didn't do anything. But I am so proud of you. That's a lot like what it is to live life in God's providence. That he prepares these things for us, and we get to walk in them. So let's look at, at uh, number one here in your notes. God is to be praised when we do what we are supposed to do. If you look at um, starting there in verse 1, actually starting in verse 2, Israel's leaders took charge, and the people gladly followed. Israel's leaders took charge, and the people gladly followed. And then it ends with, praise the Lord. So the passage automatically assumes that we don't naturally follow God. We don't naturally follow God. It's not our default mode. And so if we live life only doing what we want to do, it will not be following God. And, and for a lot of Christians, I think this is what we call the open door, right? We just go through whatever open door we find, and if it is easy, that must mean that's God's favor, but that's not how God's providence works. It's not how it worked for Barak, and it's not how he evidences his promise. This passage assumes that we don't naturally, we don't naturally follow God. And if we, if we only ever do what we want to do, then we aren't following God. We're leading ourselves. And this, uh, the, the passage there, maybe some of your Bibles highlight the, the, there where it says the leaders led in that passage. And it actually talks about the loosening of hair. The loosening of hair, which would have caught, talked about freedom and no doubt, Deborah was thinking back to the time of Moses. And there's a story in the time of Moses, Leviticus 10.6. I'm going to give you a quick rundown. Um, it's the strange fire passage where Moses' sons are just promoted to priests. And they uh, are given how to worship God, how to sacrifice to God. And instead of doing worshiping God the way that God had laid out for them, they decided to worship God and do faith their own way. And it says that God consumed Moses' sons with fire. And so it uses there that they loosened, they, they were not allowed to loosen their hair. And so this, this for us then illustrates that there are two freedoms in life. There are two freedoms in life. The freedom from guilt in Christ by grace in humility and through obedience, we have the freedom to do what we were created to do. In Christ, we can actually do, we have the freedom to do the things that he created us to do. We would call that self-actualization, that we are actually fulfilling our greatest and highest purpose. We have the freedom to do that, but only by grace, in humility, and through obedience to Christ. That's the first freedom. The second freedom is the freedom of destruction, that we can and we can, we have the freedom to do whatever we want. To walk in our own way. But God, God knows that at the end of that road for us, if Scripture is correct and we are sinners at heart, the heart of man is deceitful above else, that we will eventually destroy ourselves. We will eventually destroy ourselves and that we will lead 
a life apart from God. And so we know, and as we see from this passage, obedience takes an act of God, an act of God. See, Barak had to be encouraged by Deborah, who was speaking for God, who was encouraging him, just follow what God has planned. He's got something here prepared for you. Do you trust that? It takes an act of God. It's, it's amazing that he'll put these things up for us, and then he has to encourage us to get there, and then he has to walk for us to get there. And, you know, Deborah, is this, uh, there's this idea in uh, Old Testament that anytime you have a character who is a hero, we like to relate to the heroes and, and say that that's us, right? But we know in Scripture we're not the heroes. We needed saving. And so anytime you see a hero, a judge, uh, a, a prophet, they symbolize, they're, they're a messianic parallel, saying that somebody is coming who will finish the job. And so Jesus, we know, is that person, that Messiah, who came and he was the better Deborah. See, Deborah came to Israel to show Israel that following God is actually an option. Because up until that time, they were just doing their own thing. To them, it wasn't even a consideration of following God. And that's why everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You hear that in Judges, right? They, so Deborah came and was like, hey guys, it's an option that you can actually have the freedom to follow God and experience his blessings. Like, this is an option here. And it, Deborah came to open the eyes of obedience to God and how good that obedience would be. See, Jesus came to open our eyes to show us, to write the law on our hearts, and to show us that actually walking with God is a possibility through grace by Jesus Christ. He came to open that up for us, to show us that it's a possibility. So the question for us then is, do I resist God's providence? Do I resist God's providence? The rain was a setup that Barak would have missed if not for the prodding of God through Deborah. Now my question is, how many times have we tried to thwart the providence of God in our life by trying to do our own thing? Even if it's a good thing, it's not a God thing. God has bigger plans than just good things for us. And so how many times have we done that? Where have I, so the question for us to ask is, where have I almost missed out on something God has prepared for me? Think about your life. Have I given into a small prodding? Have I listened to that still small voice of the Holy Spirit that says, don't just go the easy route, go the God route. Listen to him in obedience. For me, man, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know my wife if I would have just gone, and like my, the desire of my heart when I was in high school was to be a rock star. And so I started a band. We were ready to go on tour. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit leveled me. And he says, you've got to quit the band, and I want you to go be a summer missionary. And I was like, that sounds terrible, God. Rock star, good. Missionary living out of a stinky van with six other people sound bad. But the Holy Spirit leveled me, and that decision changed my life and led me uh, to the arms of my, my wife and the family and the blessings that I have now, if I would have been a rock star, I guarantee I would probably be dead right now. <clears throat> How do we listen to that still small voice? Just a couple of maybe uh, things for you. He coaches us. He coaches us through scripture. He gives us the possibility of being intentionally listening to God. Now, we're not great at this, but that's what the Bible is for, and that's why 
pastors, that's why churches encourage you, plead with you, beg with you, even though it's uncomfortable, even though it's hard. It is your lifeblood. If you want to walk in the providence of God, you have to be looking at the principles of God, the things of God in his scripture. We have to be engaging God because that's where he says, hey guys, these are my purposes. These are the things that I want you to walk in. These are the things that I'm preparing for you. He has all of those wrapped up in that book you're holding called the Bible. And you got to look for it. You got to be studying it and learning how not to just know it, but to live it. And he, so he coaches us through Scripture. He provokes us to follow. For some of us, this is circumstances. You ever been there where you're like, God, I'm going to do my own thing? And he's like, mm, no, you're not. And he causes the circumstances of your life to walk you right into where he wants you. Sometimes that's losing your job. I talked to a guy this last weekend who he's like, he lost his job, and it was because he was afraid to quit his job. He knew where God was calling him. He said, I just don't have the courage. I didn't have the courage to quit, so God caused me to get fired, to, to move on. And he was like, I'm so free now. And I was like, yeah, imagine if you would have just gone with what God had originally, like he wouldn't have had to rock you out of your job to get you there. Um, and so for some of us, you think about the church. Do you let the church provoke you to holiness or leave you, uh, or do you leave as soon as it starts to provoke you? As soon as it starts to poke at you, as soon as it starts to get at the hard stuff and push you, like Deborah pushed Barak. Or do you not like being uncomfortable? We live in a culture that hates being uncomfortable, and that's a problem for following God because we don't naturally follow God. If you don't like being uncomfortable, being a Christian is going to be a tough experience for you. Hebrews 10.24 says, Spur one another or provoke one another to love and to good works. That means challenge one another. How many times do you come to church and you're like, man, that frustrated me, but I know that's good. We don't give church the chance to do that. I don't think we give God the chance to do that in our lives, and I don't think we give the Bible a chance to provoke us because we want to be affirmed where we're at. So we, leave, we read the encouragement passages and skip over the challenge passages, don't we? So, number two, God is to be praised when we are not destroyed by our sin. As we know, or at least if we are honest, none of us follow God all the time, or even minimally at best. Even with His grace, we choose other things. I'm so grateful that God both helps me through the consequences of my sin and keeps it from destroying me. And that's what He did for Israel. We see that Israel was in a pretty bad spot, weren't they? Look at verses 6 through 11. They were... What? There were few left in the villages of Israel until Deborah arose as a mother of Israel. It's important for us to then describe what sin is because I think we have a misunderstanding about sin. We define sin typically as doing bad things. Ever, anybody ever heard that the VBS kind of description of sin is doing bad things? We typically like to define it, but that's not a... a, a complete a definition of sin. A complete definition of sin would be it's not doing what God created you to do. So anytime you walk outside of what God has for you to do, the good things that he has for you to walk in, that's actually sin. That's doing life your own way. That's doing, that's, you're not doing what God created you to do. He, he, you're not walking in the things that he's prepared for you. How many of you, if you have a tool that's broke 
and will won't ever function or do the thing that you created it or that you have it to do, what do you do with that tool? You get rid of it. You replace it. Isn't that amazing that God didn't just press the reset button or order a new planet when people started to sin? Isn't it amazing that he was like, no, you know what? In fact, I'm going to cause my grace. I'm going to help them get there. I'm going to make this whole thing worth it. I'm going to redeem them, as Sam said. I'm going to redeem them, that he didn't just destroy us and create a, 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 a creation that would um, obey him. So God is to be praised when we are not destroyed by our sins. And this, this is Deborah's looking back at this victory and she's seeing how bad Israel was, the state that it was in, and how it could have been destroyed. And so for us, uh, we need to assume a couple of things about God, that he is constantly protecting us both physically and spiritually from the consequences of our sin. He's constantly protecting us both physically and spiritually from the consequences of our sin. And so I think about this when I was a teenager. Man, God preserved me from several really dumb decisions that could have killed me in several different scenarios. But, but there were, although I look back on the providence of God and I, th- I think, oh my goodness, he preserved my life. Why did he preserve my life? He must have a plan. He must have a plan. So the physical consequences of my dumb decisions, of doing, my, doing life my own way, the spiritual consequences of total separation from God, from the blessings of God. When we are walking in our own way, you might have minimal success. You might have a couple of things go your way, but we know that apart from God, nothing is going to last eternally. So you might have some successes without God, to be sure, on this earth. But wait a couple of generations, and your success is going to mean anything. In the economy of eternity, What we can accomplish without God is nothing. That's what Paul said. I count it all not. I can do nothing apart from Christ. He protects us individually and communally. So I think about uh, Israel could have ended, but it didn't because God preserved the nation of Israel and brought in the King David eventually and and restored the nation of Israel to um, incredible Incredible success and incredible glory to his name. But I think about that for the church. Is the church perfectly obeying the will of God today? How about the Western church? Are we doing a good job? We're doing terrible, by the way. Statistically, the the divorce rate is the same. Sin rate, like if you were to look at research studies, we're the same as the world around us. The only difference is is that we can count on and know the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so communally, like our churches, our nation, our nation, is it because we're big and tough that God allows us to be here? No, man, it is the very grace of God that the United States will exist, does exist, and will exist in 10 years or 20 years. It has to be the providence of God alone. Because the will of man is not enough to preserve our nation. It has to be the providence of God. And how about our families? You talk about brokenness in today's families, and you think about... Man, he, he is the one who we have to count on to preserve our families because I don't know if you guys have looked or, or thought about this as a parent. I think about this and worry about this all the time is no matter how good of a parent I am, it doesn't guarantee that my kid is going to walk in God's ways. That wrecks me at night. 
when I pray for my kids. That wrecks me. I can be a good parent, but, but it has to be the providence, the grace of God that they come to know Jesus Christ. And I pray and I plead with him all the time for their salvations. Um, we are helpless like Israel was helpless. We are helpless like Israel was helpless. That verse 8 goes to kind of show or to push on the fact that, that Israel was kingless, that they were, they were without, a, uh, without a king. Um, and whether we were rich or whether we were poor, talks about riding on the, the fancy donkey saddle or walking. He's talking about the poor and the, the rich. Whether you're wealthy or whether you're poor, you are helpless and not in control of your life. Anybody there? <laughs> you like can confess that like I'm not in control. I depend on God. Man, nothing will make you think that. Then uh, a couple weekends ago, my and my family were sitting at our campsite up on the mountain just enjoying God's creation and we're sitting there and baby's playing in the pack and play. Becky and I are sitting, kids are in the trailer napping and uh, this uh, peeks around the corner. And I look straight at the bear, and the bear looks at me, and I go, ah! Like, internally, I'm screaming. I have no idea what I'm going to do if this bear rushes at me. This moment is totally out of my control. Nothing will make you feel more out of control than when you're looking at that guy. I'm kidding. He probably looked a little more like that. But God allowed a deliverer to rise in Israel, to rise in Israel. And so there's this parallel there, and just not to get too bogged down in time, because I want to be really respectful of your time. God rose Deborah as a, as a, a deliverer in Israel, and it even uses in verse 7 the word mother to describe her. And this is important for us because you get in, in Scripture, the Messiah and even Jesus several times refers to himself in, in kind of motherly terms and, and to, to describe the fact of the care and the concern and the love of a mother towards someone. And so we have Deborah who is raised as a motherly figure towards Israel. And we have Jesus, and this picture of, of Jesus, uh, so last summer I went with Tom and I got to stand where Jesus looked over Israel and it said that, that Jesus looked over Israel and he said she was like a sheep, they were sheep without a shepherd. And it says that Jesus wept over them. That's, that's a very motherly, concerning, caring heart, isn't it? I don't know about you, but uh, we all need a little mothering sometimes, don't we? We all need a little mothering sometimes. And when we're delivered, when, we, when God shows us that, that rose Deborah up, when he raises Jesus up for us, we know that Jesus is the better Deborah. Her deliverance only lasted in Israel until her death. His, for us, lasts forever and beyond because of his resurrection. So what we tell others. When you're delivered, man, I'll tell you, I was so excited to tell you all my bear story. Because, man, I was, that bear looked at me. He stopped. And he walked all the way around our camp. He circled our camp, and, and we were the only ones in the campground at the time. And so there was nobody else around, and the, he just circled our camp, and he went back up in the woods. And I was like, oh, man, I cannot wait to tell this story. This is crazy. And then as soon as the bear left, it was like, oh, man, we should have taken pictures. So we, what, what do we want to do? We want to tell others what happened about this bear. When we are delivered, 
We tell the story. What's wrong with the church today? Why is evangelism such a difficult process? Why is it like pulling teeth to get the church to evangelize, to tell others about the life-changing hope of Jesus Christ? It's because many of us don't have this perspective that we've been delivered. We don't look upon God's grace and say, Oh, thank you, God, for not allowing me to be destroyed by my own sin. There is no gratefulness, so we don't tell the story. Um, I, God gives his children good gifts, in fact, every day, if we can be looking for and choosing to show up to find them. And so the rest of this song, it's, it, spends, uh, it gives us all of these different tribes who showed up to participate in the purposes of God and those who didn't. For varied reasons and for bad excuses, those who showed up, um, verse, th- uh, verse 13 is a good example. Down from Tabor marched the few against the nobles. The people of the Lord marched down against the mighty warriors. They were clearly outgunned because of those chariots which God was going to level. And so God's call is for everyone, is for everyone. And here this passage points out that in every class, every color, every, in every country, whether you're destitute or you're wealthy, whether you're sick or whether you're healthy, it's any and all who show up to the purposes of God. The willing heart got to experience the victory that God had for him. And Deborah wants to sing that to us and to all history. That a willing heart, a willing heart, is what God chooses to use. A willing heart. Have you ever tried to have four-year-olds clean their room? It's awful. You got to coach them through picking up every toy and then remind them not to play with that toy. It's hard. When I tell them to go up and uh, clean their room, I get this, ah. And it doesn't get done very well. But I'll tell you what, the other command that I, I you try this experiment, those of you who are parents, give them this command. I want you to go run around in circles and to scream as loud as you can. Two seconds, man, they're running around screaming as loud as they can. They can obey that command, can't they? What's the difference? A willing heart. A willing heart. But yet there are those who don't show up. In verse 17, um, he talks about the tribe of Reuben, whether, whether it was indecision or complacency, Reuben. Whether it was prosperity and success, he talks about the tribe of Dan. Whether it was fear and laziness that kept you from showing up, Gilead. Whether it was comfort and not wanting to leave your own comfort, tribe of Asher. Well, those who do risk it all, and he gives Zebulun and Nephtali, these two tribes of people who showed up, he gives them this massive praise because they knew God, they knew his providence, they knew they could trust it, and they knew that God was worth it. So show up. Show up. Show up to the purposes of God. See what he has for you. And then we finish with two examples. There's two examples. J.L. was an example of that. And in this song, she's elevated because of her loyalty to God and her willingness to God. This is verses 24 through 27. It says this, Most blessed among women is J.L., the wife of Heber, the Kenite. I think I even have it here. Oh, yeah. 
May she be blessed above all women who lives in tents. Sisera asked for water, and she gave him milk in a bowl fit for nobles. She brought him yogurt. Then with her left hand, she reached for a tent peg, and with her right hand for the workman's hammer, she struck Sisera with the hammer, crushing his head. Can you guys imagine if we sang songs like that in church? But you think about, she was elevated because of her loyalty and her willingness. She wasn't the best positioned, and in fact, it was probably going to cause her problems, or it was going to be a step out of what was comfortable for her, because you read the reason that Sisera sought refuge in her tent was because that there was some relationship there, as far as her house, her people, that, that they, were, they were in good standing with Sisera, the Canaanites. But she chose instead the purposes of God. Her loyalty was to the people of God over the world. I'll say that again. Her loyalty was to the purposes and the people of God over the world. For the people of God, that should be our loyalty to the purposes and the people of God over the world. Boy, I think if you look at the Western church today, that's going to be really hard to distinguish. she got to partake in the history-changing, evil-annihilating work of the Lord. She remained loyal to God's people, though she was not an Israelite. Loyalty to God's people is something that God values very, very highly to his church and to his purposes, because his church is his purpose. Though it appeared her house was loyal to Sisera, it would have been much easier and much probably been more beneficial. Can you imagine if you cut uh, a deal for a general in the Canaanite army? Do you think that maybe later on she could have like cashed in on that favor? Maybe those of those of you who aren't as greedy as me thought about that one. You're like, oh man, I could I could work some benefit to this, but she instead she said, no. Instead of working towards my benefit, I'm going to work towards the the benefit of. God's people. We must remain loyal to the purposes of God. And then we have this other, this is a really bizarre example um, in Scripture. As we end this song, we get the example of Sisera's mother, of Sisera's mother. And this is kind of like a mock, a mock end to the song. And this is kind of, it's funny, it's interesting. Verse uh, 28 through 31 from the window, Sisera's mother looked out. Actually, I can bring it up for you. From the window, Sisera's mother looked out. And through the window, she watched for his return, saying, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why don't we hear the sound of chariot wheels? Her wise women answer, and she repeats these words to herself. They must be dividing the captured plunder with a woman or two for every man. There will be colorful robes for Sisera and colorful embroidered robes for me. Yes, the plunder will include colorful robes embroidered on both sides. So I've got a historical picture of Sisera's mother here looking out the window. And you get this picture then that, that why does it end with Sisera's mother? But you get this idea that Sisera's mother was focused on the wrong things, wasn't she? She was not living in a reality that was the reality of God, Yahweh of Israel. But we tend to live not in reality, in the reality of the Lord sometimes, don't we? We live in the reality of achievement culture. And oftentimes we'll expend time or relationship with Jesus and with his people for the benefit of ourselves, won't we? 
we get focused on the wrong things like Sisera's mother was focused on. And so I asked the question, the really hard question, the really humbling question of myself. What if we as parents expressed more concern for our kids' eternity with Jesus than getting straight A's? What if we were more worried about their eternity and their walk with God than their success in this wor- on this earth? What if we expressed more concern with responding to the grace of Jesus than getting into a good college? What if we expended the same amount of efforts of our kids and their relationship with Christ as we do filling out the FAFSA? Am I right? But what is going to last in eternity? It's not going to be their career. It's not going to be their good grades. It's going to be the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is going to be more fulfilling than anything else that we could give them. So what? In keeping with Tom, I want to leave you with some practical things. Uh, I, I love that I learned the so what thing from Tom. So here we go. Don't be surprised when people who don't know Jesus behave like they don't know Jesus. Seems pretty commonplace, but people aren't going to just, it, their natural uh, state is the same as ours was. Disobedience to God is our shared human default. It's all our condition. Before and without Jesus, we did not follow him. And so we're not going to, uh, apart from Jesus, we're not going to behave like we follow him. Be grateful to God that you have relationship with him if you have relationship with him. If you're here today and you don't have relationship with Christ, if you can't count unwaveringly on and without doubt on the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you today. Romans 10, 9 says, Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. That belief in the heart of what Jesus Christ did on the cross by paying the penalty for our sin before God and offering us his station before God. That's sonship and daughtership. That means we get to be sons and daughters because Jesus allowed us to be what he was. And he did that. He transferred that to us by what he did on the cross. So what? Assume what you haven't experienced assume that you haven't experienced the full consequences of sin and be grateful to God that you haven't. Maybe spend a quick minute in the what-ifs. What if God didn't offer you his providence to get you where you are? You're sitting here today, I would say that's God's providence because you get to be here listening to the word of God and you get to be here among the people of God. That is God's providence if you found yourself in this auditorium this morning. That's his grace. Choose today to show up. We do that by listening to God. Open your Bibles and read. God's going to show you the purposes that he has for all of us as believers. You walk in those ways, you're going to stumble into the (laughs) providence of God. Ignore yourself. There's a saying that I've lived by that has served me very well, and I I will, man, I want to give it to you, is um, don't don't listen to yourself, preach to yourself. Don't listen to yourself, preach to yourself. Because remember, your heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can know its ways? That's out of Jeremiah. 
you lie to you more than anybody else. <laughs> Can I get an amen on that one? And be willing to go anywhere he leads. I want to leave you with a... Um, Oh, and, and then uh, expect that God has providentially prepared something for you every day. That's a lot of so what's. I hope some of you, you can take, you don't have to take all those. But I want to leave you um, with a benediction. Would you stand with me? I'm going to read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And I'm going to try to get through. After studying this, I read this, and I just, it leveled me. It put me on my knees in prayer. This is the word of God. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I pray that for us, that we would be people who walk around every day looking for your providence, looking in excitement to unwrap the blessings that you have, you have prepared for us, ready to to step into the challenges, the battles that you prepared for us to have victory in, Lord. And I thank you, God, for the grace that you offer us in our failures, the grace that you offer us when we can't do it, and we thank you, God, that you can. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name we praise you. Amen.